I know that many here would recognize the name Paul Harvey and the words, the rest of the story. I won't even waste that illustration on next service. But the, 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 <laughs> but there is a rest of the story about IJM. How many of you are aware of the connection that this church has with it? Because that attorney that you heard David mention, his name is Gary Haugen. And 20 years ago, the first church that Gary Haugen ever preached at to share this vision of a ministry that would care for the poor in the name of Christ was Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church. So we have a strong link. We have a, a, a strong link with this ministry. So I am delighted that 20 years hence we can uh, gather together around this, this great theme. But I thought you would love... How many... Do, anyone here was here the Sunday that Gary preached? All right, all 12 of you. Great. <laughs> we are, uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, first of all, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm Mark Toon. I work here. And uh, we are in the, the early stages of a year-long focus on prayer as a church. We're going to take it really seriously, this matter of prayer. And as often is the case, really, this is an outgrowth of my own spiritual journey uh, it is the case that many times things that we turn to or work on as a church, it starts with me deciding I need to work on it, and I'm just going to kind of drag you along for the pleasure of the company. But uh, I've shared with you how I feel like my own prayer life has been an on-again, off-again, up-and-down kind of experience over the years, and I long for something more than that. And so we listened in Luke chapter 11 to the disciple that came to Jesus, and for the first and only time, he asked if, they, if Jesus would teach him to do something. Remember what it was? Lord, teach us to pray. And so that's what we are going to ask the Lord to do. We're asking the Master, would you teach us how to pray? And, um, and I, I will just say this, uh, as is the case with every laudable thing that we do in our lives, it starts with a decision. You, 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 the only way you start is by starting, is by saying, the stuff I hear, I'm, I'm actually going to do something with this. And so uh, I'm inviting you, I'm encouraging you to join me in this journey of becoming more prayerful, of discovering the joy of what it means to have this kind of, a, of an ongoing relationship with the Father, which is what prayer really is, is all about. And I'm delighted to begin to hear these stories. Some of you are writing emails back. I welcome them, by the way. I, I welcome bullet point emails. I don't, I mean, not, you know, don't send me war and peace here, but uh, it, I do like uh, to hear your accounts of what God is stirring in you. So send me your stories of your prayer journey and, and your own prayer lives and, uh, and your answer prayers, and I'm going to share them with the congregation. I heard this last week from a man who woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and normally he would be tossing and turning, and, but he, he re- reflecting back on last week's theme when we talked about this incredible gift of the fatherhood of God. And so he, he meditated and prayed on what it means that God is our Heavenly Father. And then there's the old four-year-old Marguerite, who is the, the daughter of our missions director, Julie Hawkins. Marguerite was in Sunday school here. And, uh, and of course, our great Sunday school ministry parallel tracks whatever we're doing here in big church. And uh, so she came out, and when uh, they got into the car and she was being buckled in, she said, Oh, we should pray every time we get into the car to drive somewhere. And so she closed her eyes and she bowed her head and she put her hands in her lap and she very sincerely and sweetly prayed, Lord, please help be with us as we drive through our city and please help Elsa to be able to control her powers. (laughs) 
We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And in case you missed out on the last part, you're clearly not a grandparent of a youngster because Elsa, of course, is the queen in Frozen and she cannot control her, her powers. If she touches someone, they freeze. And so Marguerite's very concerned that the Lord would help her uh, with that e- issue. And, and we laugh, but actually, isn't it a longing of our hearts that we would be warmed to our relationship with the Lord? That like Moses, we would, it could be said that we talk to him like a friend, talk to a friend. Or like Paul says, we could learn what it means to be in such a relationship that we are praying without ceasing. And so in this, here's the moment. I'm gonna, and, and, and it'll come every week. I'm gonna ask you this question. How are you doing? Are you making, have you, have you made one step even in this last week, one step further in praying? Maybe a pillow prayer, maybe a prayer walk, maybe a memorizing of scripture and meditating, maybe working in your, in your journals. If you have taken one step forward in being a more prayerful disciple of Jesus, I want you to enthusiastically raise your hand up right now. Awesome. Awesome. That's terrific. And if you didn't yet raise your hand, the year is young and I invite you to join us. It will be a sweet journey that we're going to, that we're going to share together. I grew up in Yakima, uh, in, uh, on a wonderful little three acre alfalfa ranch. Uh, it was bordered on one side by the wide hollow creek, which flooded every year and it was awesome. It was an idyllic place for a, a kid to grow up. And there was only one issue and that was this. It sat in the final approach flight path of the Yakima airport. And, Back in those days, they actually flew big airplanes into Yakima. You know, now it's the... But in those days, it was big jets, big, loud jets. And so these jets would come over and the shadow would be cast upon our house as they were landing at the airport. Here's the funny thing, though. We didn't hear them. After a while, we just didn't hear them anymore. We, we became inured to it. We just, we didn't notice it. The only time I really noticed it was when I had a friend who came over and suddenly a plane comes in, the shadow comes over the, and he would be startled and he would look up and, and then I would hear it again. But other than that, crickets as far as we were concerned. And, um, and the Lord's Prayer is like that, I think. We have heard it so many times, we have prayed it so many times that we don't hear it anymore. Not really. It's kind of like religious white noise to us. And when we do pray it, we kind of whip through the parts so we can get to the good stuff. Which, which is ironic since when Jesus taught this prayer to his disciples, he taught it as an antidote for the vine, mindless, vain repetitions of those show-off prayers of his time. Remember the ones that were the extra super holy people that we read about in the Jesus storybook last week? Who prayed with the extra super holy voices so that others could take note of them? And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Pray like this. And then he provides us this wonderful, simple prayer outline that is so deep and so profound that we it, we can't treat this as an airplane flying over that we don't notice anymore. And so for the next weeks, we're going to dig in. Part by part, we're going to learn what it is that Jesus was teaching us about what it means to pray. And so I hope you'll join me with uh, the disciple in crying out to the Master, Lord, teach us to pray.
Our text for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 and following. You can turn there in, in a moment if you'd like, or, or now it's up to you. But um, I'm gonna, I'd like to just share the story of what took place in that Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was with his uh, friends and, and followers on that hillside in Galilee. And he said this, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For the father already knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, would you take this word, your holy word, and bring it to life in our hearts? Would you teach us what it means to pray this prayer as if we've never prayed it before, and to encounter our loving Heavenly Father as we have never encountered Him before? Amen. As I said earlier, last week Jesus taught us the incredible privilege of being able to address our prayers to our Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven. I told you that it was kind of an astounding way for a Jew to pray because it was so familiar and intimate that no proper Jew would ever pray that way. And yet Jesus did. And Jesus did, and then he invited us to pray in the same way, in this intimate and warm and, and wonderful relationship with a Heavenly Father who leans down and listens and is eager to meet us in that conversation. We were reminded that the reason that we can pray to God our Father is because God our brother, Jesus, has invited us into his family. And through Jesus, we have been adopted into the family of our Heavenly Father. So the astounding salutation, we just had to pause there for a moment, is really this intimate expression, our Daddy in heaven, our Abba in heaven. Any dad here, when, when you hear the cry of your child, Daddy, Abba, you, you really, you're immediately, you're, you, they have your attention, right? And so there's a sense in which we cry out, Daddy, Abba, now we have his attention. Now what? And so now we come to the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. And the first petition, we know very well, hallowed be your name. Would you say that? Hallowed. This is 
perhaps the strangest of all petitions to us, in part because that word, hallowed, is strange. It, it, it was an old English word that fit nicely into the King James Version of the Bible when it was first used. But here's what's surprising to us. Many of the best modern translations, ESV, NIV, New RSV, New American Standard Bible, E-I-E-I-O, all of the best newest (laughs) versions include this same phrase, hallowed be your name. Isn't that amazing? They translate everything else to make it more accessible, and yet this one they keep. Why? Because there is no other English word that adequately expresses what this word says, what this word means. Hallowed be thy name. But it's still odd to us. And uh, part because we don't use it. I mean, the only time we kind of use it is at a, a day that we celebrate at the end of next month called Hallowed Eve, Halloween. But other than that, it's just not a word that means something to us. To hallow something is to make it holy. The the derivation of hallow, it is holy. And the problem is we're not really even that comfortable with that word, that holy thing, that holiness thing. Especially in the American church, we have a, a sense of this history of the holiness movement, which was really about proper behavior. If you're holy, then you don't do certain stuff, right? Uh, particularly, you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't wear makeup, you don't play cards. Those were kind of the big four. If you're really holy, you don't do those things. Whatever else you do, it kind of doesn't matter, but you don't do that. Of course, holiness does have something to do with how we behave. It does have something to do with behavior, but we learn pretty quickly holiness is so much more. Holiness is so much more. In the Bible, to be holy is to be set apart. That's the word means literally, to be set apart, to be dedicated exclusively to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 26, God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's language of holiness. Do you hear that? He's setting this people that he has chosen, setting them apart. He said, I'll be your God and you will be my people. The problem is even that language of set-apartness is not very helpful for us today. Because we're sensitive of the idea of being marginalized. When we say someone is set apart, it can sound to us like we're saying we're going to push them off to the side here. We're going to put them over in a corner. We're going to tuck them into a little church box out of the way. My favorite commentator is for the book of Matthew is Dale Bruner, a, a, a retired Whitworth professor. And Bruner suggests that a better definition of holy for our time, is not that it is set apart, but that it is put at the center. To hallow something is to put it at the center. What we consider most important, what we consider supreme in our life, the thing we adore and obsess about and plan for and work for and save for, that is what is holy to us. Like your cell phone. So to pray, hallowed be thy name, then, is to recognize how great and how good God is and to invite him into the center of our lives. Does that make sense to you? It is to say, there's no one like you. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're utterly unique. You belong in the center of my life, and I invite you to take your place there. Hallowed be your name. 
But I'm still not sure that this language conveys the wonderment that the word is intended to evoke. So let me try this. The other day, this last week, I was uh, out for my morning prayer walk. I stayed faithful to that this week. I was out for my morning prayer walk. I walked around the the barn and suddenly the mountain just jumped out at me. It, It was backlit by the red of the rising sun. It was kissed by a halo of of clouds and it was so breathtakingly beautiful for me that I literally stumbled and stopped and the words leapt unbidden to my lips. Oh Lord. It's not that I didn't know that mountain was going to be there. I've seen it there. I know where it is. I know how big it is. I know how dominating it is. I know how impressive it is. It's none of that. But in that moment, it was revealed to me with such beauty and prominence and power that I was overwhelmed. It arrested me. And that's what's going on when Jesus teaches us to pray, Hallowed be thy name. I'm going to dig in another level. So, Buckle up your pew belts because I want you to work here a little bit. This is not a prayer to praise God for being holy. The prayer is not praising God for being holy, for being supreme and awesome and unique. And all those things are true. And there are plenty of places in the Bible where we are invited and urged, especially the Psalms, to declare the holiness of God, to praise God for His holiness. And by the way, the word for that is, you know what it is when you pray prayers of ascription of holiness? Doxology. The word doxology comes from doxa in Greek, which means glory. And so a doxology is an ascription of glory to God, where we tell Him He is glorious. We Praise Him for His holiness. That's a good thing. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. Jesus didn't teach us to pray, Your name is holy. We are taught to pray, Let your name be made holy. In other words, we are asking God to reveal Himself, to make apparent to us what is already the case that he is indeed supreme and awesome and holy to help us see God for who he is and to give him the center of our lives that he deserves so if we come back to my mountain illustration for a moment the experience that I had it wasn't something I ginned up something I created something I said I'm going to be astounded today when I look at the mountain it was something that was done for me it was done to me And when that revelation was given to me, I was stopped dead in my tracks. I was speechless, almost. (laughs) That's the best you're going to (laughs) get. And that is worship. That is worship. Now classically, we call this kind of prayer adoration. Would you say that? But for many of us, it's the the least comfortable and maybe the the oddest part of prayer that we are called to pray. One of the guys in my life group said it this way. See if you can resonate with this, guys especially. He said, this is the hardest kind of prayer for me. I know how to ask for things. I know how to say thank you for things. I know how to confess things to God. But, But this part where I talk about how good and wonderful and holy God is, that is the hardest kind for me. 
And another guy in the group almost tripped over him, interrupting, saying, especially for guys. He said, it's kind of mushy. That's his word, mushy. It's a theological term, I guess. It's hard for men to pray the kind of mushy things, to say mushy things. And all the wives in the room are shaking their heads and saying, amen. It is hard for them to say mushy things. But, but there's a way that we can look at adoration that maybe is not quite so mushy. I'm not a big fan of the author, Anne Lamott. But the title of her book on prayer really captured my attention. The title is this, Help, Thanks, Wow. The Three Essential Prayers. And she captures these three traditional types of prayer in that very short three, three little words. Help, of course, is what we call supplication. You know, help me, God, I need your help in this. Thanks, obviously, is thanksgiving when we are in gratitude for what God has done for us. It's the third one, though, that kind of jumped out at me. Did it at you? Wow! And wow is the prayer of adoration, where we express our love and our awe for, for God. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, it may feel a little artificial, a little stiff, because we don't use that language. But when we pray, wow, God, you are amazing. There's no one like you. You deserve to be the center of my life. Wow! then I think we're getting closer to the meaning that we can understand today. And I guarantee you we're getting closer to something that guys can pray to. God, wow, you're amazing. I have a problem actually though with Anne Lamott's book title. Actually, I have two problems with it. The first is that she leaves out an important fourth word. Did you see what it is? What's missing from her prayer words? Yes! There's no confession up there. And that's an important part of prayer literature in the Bible. So shouldn't a fourth word be sorry? Help, thanks, wow, and sorry, I think would have rounded the the book off. Here's the other little gripe that I have, and I'm just picking on it, but it makes a great preaching point, and so I'm doing it. Um, the, The other little gripe I have is this. She puts wow at the last. Wow is the the last of of the ascriptions. But When we listen to Jesus teaching us how to pray, he reorders our prayer life. Did you see that? And by the way, wow might be the last in the way we learn how to pray. We typically learn how to ask for stuff first, and then when God gives us stuff, we say thank you, and and then maybe we get to wow. But Jesus reorders our prayer life. He puts wow first. Our Father in heaven, wow! Wow! There's no one, there's nothing like you. I don't have words to express it. Wow! Will you please put yourself at the center of my life? Will you please let your character, your name, your nature be at the core of who I am? Wow! But why does Jesus put wow there first? I found Tim Keller helpful on this one. We, Jesus puts wow there because it's only when we see God for who he is. His holiness, his love, his power that we really believe he is capable of meeting our other prayer needs. Does that make sense? When we pray the help prayer that we're going to pray in a little while, give us this day our daily bread, that's help me, I need help. Only if we have a wow vision of God can we believe that he is actually big enough to meet every, every one of our needs. When we pray the sorry prayer a little further along, forgive us our debts. 
Only if we have a wow vision of God can we believe that He is loving and gracious and powerful enough to forgive us, truly forgive us of our sins and wipe those all clean. Another member of my life group, as we were talking about this, said, you know, you've got to start with wow. Because if you don't spend time focusing on the wow, you never really believe He can do the rest. If, if We tend to want to run past that line. But you can't come to the rest of the prayer until you dwell in that holiness. I thought it was a very profound insight. I want to come back to the definition that we started with earlier. To hallow something is to put it at the place of supreme importance in your life. And so to hallow God is to put Him in the center of our life. Can you see then why this would be the important starting point for this prayer that Jesus gives to us? Why this is the supreme starting point? If God isn't truly the center, if God isn't truly the core, the most important thing to us, then we just become like those extra super holy people who do religious things for display on a Sunday morning in a life group when others will notice us. There's a reason that Jesus says, go and do this in secret. Because it is only when we are in secret where you discover what you really adore. What you really place most importance in. What makes you say, wow, only in secret. And here is the the bummer of it all. That place is never vacant in our lives. That place of supreme importance that holds what matters most to us, it's never sitting there vacant. We always adore something. We always worship something. The question is whether we worship the, the only one who is worthy to be adored or we substitute some shabby option. The only way that we can really pray, hallowed be thy name, is to demote whatever is sitting in that place. Let me illustrate this way. This last summer, our nephew Ian came up from Salt Lake City to spend some time with us. We love Ian. He's going to go on the high school trip for the first time, and uh, we're really excited about that. Ian is a great kid, but he clearly did not know the house rules because, you see, there is a chair in the house. Uh, I see I don't need to go any further, but I will. The, the chair is my chair. It is where I sit. Others are free to use it when I am not present, but when I walk into the room, I expect the chair to be vacated. So I walked in one afternoon, and Ian was in the chair. And he did not vacate. So what do you think I did? Meekly move to the second chair? Not a chance. I took... I took the newspaper, I popped it, and he said, Dude, you're in my chair. Out! (laughs) The problem is, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I see that you have something else in the central place of worship in your life. Your health. Your money. Your family. Your career. Your football. Your election results. I see you have something else that obsesses you. That takes up all of your attention and time. The place of worship. If you want to hallow me. 
If you want me to be revealed in your life and in your family and in your church and in your world for who I really am, it's not going to happen with you stuffing me into some religious cupboard. You invite me, when you pray the words, hallowed be thy name, you invite me to be at the center of your life. But until you demote what is sitting in my place, it will never happen. So the question I think this text calls out to us today, at least one of them, is this. What do you need to demote that you might be able to pray with sincerity? Hallowed be thy name. What do you need to displace in your life in order to make Jesus the hallowed center of your life? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let us pray. I want you, with every head bowed and eyes, all eyes closed, I want you to think for a moment. Here, here you are in the secret of your prayer time. No one sees what's going on in your heart except you and God. And so ask yourself this question. What is holy to me? What do I adore? What do I spend most time perseverating about, thinking about, planning for, dreaming of? Whatever it is that comes to mind, it is sitting in the supreme place of worship that God deserves. And when you pray, hallowed be thy name, there's no vacant place for God to come and be hallowed in. And this is a hard thing to do and it can't be done at once, but the, one of the great things about this, Lord, is that you, we, you are inviting us to ask you to do this thing. We are petitioning you to make your name holy. And so, Lord, we petition you to call this to mind and give us the courage to demote that which we adore, all of which may be really good and valuable things, but we will demote it to second chair so that we can say, let your name be made holy in my life. Lord, I, help, hope, I pray that every person here, that you will help them to identify that which is the usurper. And you will help us to displace that and to pray with all sincerity. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name.